You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 10 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm once again joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Greetings to you both. Hello. Oh, that was nice. That yeah, was that okay? Well. We're going. To, we're going for a cacophonous. Yep. All at yep. once. Hello today. Yeah, but it had a slightly um, syncopated feel to it, so that what, was good. I've worked out. I feel the. Do you know what it is? It's because you've got such a keen sense of drama and speech that I feel it needs to pass muster. <laughs> oh no, dear! Oh, please don't feel that. I'm just trying not to clash with you, Neil. It's much more <laughs> basic. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I know we've talked about this before, that it's a silly thing, saying hello, but but everybody gets kind of hung up on it. Yeah. But I think it's also because it sort of sets the tone for the whole episode, doesn't it? It's almost like a little test of, oh, are we listening? Are we yeah, yeah. speaking at the right moment? There's a whole essay to be written on that. I was going to say a novel, but I think that's not a book, but I think that's too I once I once knew someone who'd written their final year dissertation on the letter E. Oh, interesting. I would enjoy reading that. That's mm. interesting. It's niche. Yeah. With what e. was her degree in? Oh, it was linguistics. So it was, or English, I think, English, English language. Yeah. We're going completely tangential already, <laughs> but I, I find with Wordle, I'm still doing Wordle, yeah. and I do find it's making me quite keenly aware of how consonants and vowels yeah, sit with yeah. each other. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you know my thing on that? I, I, my favourite thing is the 32 one. Oh, gosh. No, I, 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 I refuse to do anything other than the... the, the classic wordle because okay. it would be such a distraction for me well and anna well, she does the six letter one i can't cope with the six letter one because i can't no. think of any six letter words i'm no, so locked into five letter words goodness that's gonna be quite good though to, to expand your vocabulary a bit into that <laughs> anyhow uh here we are season four episode 10 now I, unless anybody's got any correspondence with them then i actually i don't have any um but i would like to invite some today for future episodes now it has come to my attention from a couple of sources that these episodes are gradually getting longer to the point where actually the last few have been just under an hour which is quite a lengthy podcast now i personally don't mind listening to that i think it proves that we have an ability to speak for an hour and listen to each other for an hour and we're quite happy with that but my question to you audience is is that the right length for you I know there's lots of opinions on length of podcasts some people enjoy a long form listen because they may be listening when they're doing the housework or training for a marathon or something um but other people if you're on a commute or you you just want to listen attentively to something then 30 to 40 minutes is probably the right length for you so I am throwing it out for discussion and debate what is the perfect length for outspoken conversation so so realistically, we're not going to offer a three-minute burst, although little advert here, Foolproof Bites, its three-minute form is coming back soon, if anybody listens to that. Um, and I'm, we're not offering something like a 15-minute uh, episode because that, that would be too short. But anything from about 35 to 60 minutes, we're interested to know what is the best format for you listeners. So answers on a postcard. Well, maybe not in a postcard because that would take too long, but you can uh, email us. Such a thing from the 70s. That's such a swap shop postcard. thing. I know, isn't it? And it, no, it comes from Blue Peter and swap shop, exactly. Um, if we put ourselves to the test, we could probably remember the postcode for uh, Television Centre. However, email listeners, 
outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or you can obviously contact us if you know any of us personally or you could do it via social media so outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org let us know how long is the perfect length for you for outspoken conversation now we can't promise that we'll definitely go with your suggestion because it might well be that obviously you're out of sync with all the rest of the listening public but we we do want to make this um, something that is accessible for for people so that's our correspondence slot for today and in today's episode we're going to be discussing the next chapter in john that's john chapter nine where eyes are opened unseen perspectives are shifted and the seeing feel seen oh <laughs> good <laughs> thanks before all of that though it's time for glovers off glovers off is about football this week. Um, I was really bad at football at school. I, I really enjoyed it, actually, but I'm, I'm very poor at it. I don't have the coordination or the, the speed to be good at football. But I, I've always loved it. But I've also, I suppose, in recent years, been a little bit dubious about it because I've seen the way that money, particularly through the Premier League and also through the old firm, if I can be as controversial to say that, has dominated. And so, for example, in Scotland, I think the last time that a non-old firm club won the league was in 1985. As a Hearts fan, I'm very sore about the fact that we never won in 1986 because we were within 10 minutes of doing so. But for all my my worries about, I suppose, high-end money football, which, by the way, still gives a lot of joy, but has a kind of tinge to it. I had two really good experiences of football this week. Firstly, on Wednesday, I was at a funeral for a mum who I had got to know because my son, our son Sam, and her two two of her boys, her twins, were in the same football team. And we spent lots and lots of hours cheering on these boys. And what was really poignant was at the funeral a lot of those boys were still there. This was 10 years later. And it pointed me to the fact of the of the bonds that are, are created around, well, I guess all sports teams, but I'm talking about football teams at the moment. And then at the funeral on Thursday, I don't care if I tell this, but it, it was a, a guy who had an interesting history, let's say that. He was buried in a ranger's coffin, I mean, actual Rangers coffin. And uh, there were all sorts of people at the graveside, including a couple of guys who I I jumped to a lot of conclusions about how they might earn their money or do do for a living. There was a lot of jewellery, very short haircuts and, and shades. And I thought, oh, how am I going to get on with them? Especially as two of them uh, put a football programme in to the grave, they threw it into the grave, and it was for the cup final when Rangers beat Hearts. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that they're they're showing off the fact that Rangers beat Hearts. However, turned out that they were Hearts fans. And this was a sign of their bondedness with Adam, who died, and his fanship of Rangers. So it was a Rangers-Hearts match and meant a lot to them. And at the reception, me and this guy discovered that we had both watched Hearts in the 1980s and we just went through player after player, game after game and totally bonded over our love of Hearts, particularly in the 1980s. So I think I have discovered football at its best this week as a place where friendships, 
are formed over many, many years and where many boundaries are overlapped uh, in order that people can make a connection with um, each other. So it's it's football. And I think football's quite important to both of you as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'll probably more yeah. Jen than I than, well, than me. It's interesting you saying how much you love playing football as a wee boy because my memory as a wee girl in the 1970s was that I could play football at home with my brothers, but mm-hmm. there was no chance I was being allowed to play football at school. You know, there, there was no girls' football team. You couldn't just go out and join in with the boys in the playground, uh, you know. So I, 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 I really, I'm really sad about that. And it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I really encourage girls to play football who now have so much more chances to do so. So that's, that's part of my love of football because I really love playing it. Um, but I'm a, I'm a motherable fan. I have a season ticket for last year. I've had a season ticket at numerous times through my life, but I hadn't for a wee while before last, last season. Um, and I was privileged to be there in 1991 when Motherwell won the Scottish won Cup. The cup. <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, I suppose often these glovers off lead to a, a comment on or our connection with faith. I don't want to over-egg this or I'm aware of some of the pitfalls of it, but I suppose both the stories I've told point to a oneness because we had something deeper in common. And at its best, football does that. And I guess faith and church should always do that of the sense of something bigger, which creates a sense of belonging. And I guess at its worst, it divides. Yeah, yeah. And that would probably be an analogy there as well, wouldn't it? I do have another beautiful football moment of uh, unity, and it's very, very recent. So on Friday, I went at lunchtime to the park with a nine-year-old boy who has arrived in Scotland from Ukraine, and he's staying around the corner from us. And I went with a few folk and him to the local park, and there was people... He he was playing on the, the swings and the climbing things, but there was a wee group of young people, one of whom I knew from our church youth group, who were playing football... And he was looking over and looking over and he, and he just wanted to join in. And I spoke to one of the girls who I knew from youth group and they were, they were the, these young people were just so amazing. They're all about first sound. You're like, can you come? And they were chatting away <laughs> to him. And immediately, they, and he's, he's got no English at all, uh, this boy from UK. And uh, there was no language divide. There was no mm. division. They were all just playing mm-hmm. football. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was absolutely ecstatic afterwards. You could, and you couldn't tell me that, but I could see that he had uh-huh. loved it. And then I was explaining that Scotland and Ukraine are playing on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was shouting, Scotland, Scotland. And I was like, no, it's okay. You don't have to support Scotland. <laughs> so I just, it was a great, uh, really positive football moment. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Great. Well, thank you very much, Neil. That's that's fantastic. Let's move into um, what we're talking about today, which is John chapter nine. Sorry, I just lost my chapter heading there for a minute. Well, John chapter nine, and I was looking for the page numbers. If you are reading in Light and Life, then that is on pages 30 and 31 today. There's a lovely um, picture of a night sky to go with it because we're talking about light and we're talking about seeing. Um, what did, what did we make of this chapter? Jen, Jen, what was your response coming into it? I think it's easy to read this chapter and miss out the first few words and leap straight into this uh, debate about sin that the disciples ask about. But really the, the first two few words are the ones that, that struck me that as Jesus went along, um, he saw the man. Yeah. And, um, you know, it doesn't describe what that means. I mean, I, I would hope it doesn't just mean that Jesus stood there staring at him, but that Jesus got down beside him, Jesus spoke to him, did Jesus invite him in for a meal, did he invite him to have a game of football, 
probably unfortunately not. Um, so it's a bit like that wee story in the park. Um, he was this man was seen maybe in a really meaningful way. He was recognised as an individual when most people are just walking past and nobody's bothering with him. And in fact, worse than that, they're probably rejecting on them and uh, because of who they think he is or what he's done or what his family has done. So for me, that that really striking moment right at the start that Jesus sees. And then interestingly, the chapter ends probably with the Pharisees completely unable to see anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet they're not physically blind. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, it's Avatar, isn't it? The film Avatar, where, mm. um, if you remember that from a few years ago, it's the kind of very blue characters, isn't it? And and the way they connect with each other is they say, I see you. Oh, mm. yeah. And I thought about that quite a lot over the years. You know, think about what, what that idea that seeing is not just what you what your eyes see but yeah. seeing is a is a connection yeah. isn't it yeah and, and i suppose two things one is that later on the, the man will have an experience of not being seen mm-hmm. which you've already alluded to jen but particularly with the neighbors when they keep saying are you are you the the guy and he keeps going i am he i am he and it's almost as if they <laughs> refuse to see that he is uh-huh. that, that man and then later on um probably one of the key bits right in that the 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 scene the final scene with him and the Pharisees, where he says, um, "I do not know whether he is a sinner or not. All I know is that once I was blind, but now I can see." And mm-hmm. once again, it picks up that idea of seeing it being such an important part. I mean, this is such an important part of the story, but once again, connects to the prologue because it connects with light. And yes. Jesus himself quotes that, I am the light of the world eh, in in the beginning there as well. Uh, so there's all sorts of connections again. <laughs> That's the, the theme for this season four. It connects with the, <laughs> pro- the prologue. That's what we say again, isn't it? <laughs> the first verses. Sorry, I was just looking back at the pro- prologue because it does it not also talk about seeing in the prologue. Or am I thinking? About, I might be thinking about First John, but it talks about we've seen. Yes, uh, I don't think it says. It says in him was the light. It's all who believe, doesn't it? In the prologue. Yes, it, it's witnessing to the light, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's what I was thinking about. But it doesn't actually talk about seeing. There's that recognizing connection uh-huh. as well, yeah. isn't uh-huh. it? That, um, he came to those who were his own, and they didn't recognize him. But those who did recognize him, um, they believed in his name. And you can you can see that with the leaders here that they're just moving further and further away from Jesus. And, yes. But this man through this chapter is drawing closer and closer. He takes steps, doesn't he, along the way? Um, he, he he recognizes that he's a prophet, and then he and then there's a beautiful moment near the end when he believes. Um, Lord, I believe, and he worships mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So, so there's. I think there's quite a few things we can we can pick up to talk about. I, I'd like to talk about the man himself because mm-hmm. I find him quite an interesting. He's quite a feisty character. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about Sabbath because mm. once again, I think I think actually one of my reflections on our reading through John <laughs> is that the topic of Sabbath comes up a lot. Mm. It's 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 quite a key, isn't it, to unlocking some of this stuff is mm-hmm. is understanding yeah. what Jesus is doing. Um, I'd like to talk about the Pharisees, about uh, the man's family and how they respond, mm. and uh, if there's anything else, we can come to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I know what the other thing was. Actually, there is something else, isn't it? That that, that big topic of of sin and, and and what causes has there been sin in the man's life or in the man's family life? Is that something that we can just dismiss as being archaic and a bit Old Testament or a bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, earlier civilizations, yeah. or do you think we still do that today? Well, when I was reading it, I would just dismiss it. 
That that was my response. And I actually was a bit disappointed in Jesus' response because I wanted Jesus to confirm my dismissiveness. Now, I think he does dismiss it, but what mm-hmm. he says about, um, no, nobody sinned, not this man or his or his parents, but this happened to bring glory to God or for God to be known, um, depends which version you're reading, for, for God might be displayed in him. I, I was worried about that response from Jesus because I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, that, that's just like saying... Uh, this man's a bit of a puppet, you know, God's put him here, God's made him blind, so one day Jesus will turn up and heal him. And so I, although I was quite happy to dismiss the perspective of the the reason the disciples are asking this question, because Jesus seems to dismiss it, mm-hmm. I was a bit unsatisfied by uh, Jesus' alternative <laughs> approach. So I was, I was wondering about what that, what that is really going on there. What is Jesus really saying? I, I would... I would agree with that, Janet. It does feel, doesn't it, like, oh, it's it's great. It's nothing to do with sin. So we're really happy at that point when Jesus says that. And then he goes, um, oh, it's so that the glory of God would be seen in him. As you said, you know, is he just, I think the word you used there was puppet, wasn't it? That he's he's this, he's to go through, let's say, 20 years of blindness just in order that, that Jesus can then use him as a, prop is too is that too too mm. hard a word mm. and i suppose the insight that i've had into it is, is twofold one is through our our son who um is quite open about this has been diagnosed with asd uh, autistic spectrum disorder and he would regard that not as something he would want rid of but part of him but it is through his dealing with that that well, I guess he's got a strong faith, so it'd be through his, through God is at work through that. And I think there's a mm. sense that all of us have that which is incomplete. And that would be the other thing I'd say. There's a sense here that, that frequently we're, we're told at least five times in the passage that this man is born blind. It's repeated again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And we're also repeatedly told about the mud. The mud appears at least four times in the, the passage. So John is constantly reminding us he's born blind. And if we remember that for John, old creation, the first creation is such a, I mean, it just appears all the time in John's gospel. The idea of the first creation being the starting point, but then the, the sun completes creation. The fullness of creation is reached in, in Jesus. And what appears to be happening here is that in a sense, the man's blindness is a sign of incompleteness. He has Mm -hmm. yet to reach his fullness of creation. And when Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, it's a reminder of the mud from which Adam was created. I think that's why that keeps created, keeps getting mentioned again and again and again. This is an act of new creation, which brings the man to fullness. So going right back then to that point where Jesus said the glory would be fulfilled, if we could understand that what's really happening here is that a man who is a man of creation, just like all of us, what the glory that's happening is that God is bringing him into a fullness, that God is is completing the work of mm-hmm. creation in him. And I suppose I would read that then as a sign that all our um, incompletenesses, this is maybe a better word, are made complete in in Christ through his work, symbolised here by the mud. Because the other thing that fits with that is the idea of Sabbath, is that it has been used at this point to work out who the insiders are and the outsiders are. The insiders keep Sabbath, the outsiders don't. The insiders are righteous, the outsiders are unrighteous. 
what Jesus is reinterpreting Sabbath as the place where God completes the work of creation. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, is why in John's Gospel, so many things happen on the Sabbath, Mm -hmm. as you said. They are the place where creation, the seventh day, is the place where God finishes off the work of the Mm -hmm. six days. Mm-hmm. And the, Sabbath was very much the, the, the seventh day, the finished day, wasn't mm-hmm. it? But, but we, I suppose, post-resurrection think of Sabbath as the first day often, first don't day. we? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, the first yeah, day of it. the opening of the kingdom, isn't it? It's the yeah. Interesting. But, um, so, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to sort of think through what you've said, Neil, in relation to my struggles. So rather than him being a puppet who's sitting, waiting there for Jesus to turn up or God to turn up, that in some ways, the man is being drawn in to God's work in the mm. world. <laughs> Just as Jesus saw him at the start, sitting there and sat down and spoke to him or whatever he did, he now draws him even further in to that work of God. He's, he's not an outsider. He's not mm. excluded. And and I find that more helpful, much more helpful than just him sitting, waiting there to be processed or to be used to be yeah. shown that God is working God Jesus are drawing him in and in that drawing in he he is physically healed but as we see actually it's part of him being drawn to Jesus and ending up worshipping him and maybe following him he doesn't say that I presume but maybe we can assume that there's an implication when he says about disciples though isn't there mm. sorry just jumping in on you what there because, well when he says to the Pharisees when they ask him it's later on in the passage mm. and he says do you want to become his disciples too? Mm-hmm. Yes, as if now, he is now it might just be that he's saying, you know, do you want to become like one of those disciples? But but there is, a, I think, I read that as a yeah. a sense of, you know, do you want to do you want to come and be one of his disciples too? And and that's lovely, isn't it? I haven't thought about mm-hmm. that. That actually, by that point, it, that man felt part of that community of Jesus and his disciples, which maybe makes me think even more that when Jesus saw him, he didn't just stand and stare at him, but he had a meal with them or. Yeah, come with us, we're going down the road. Um, I, I, that's, it's a beautiful that the community has welcomed him in as well as just Jesus, although the disciples are asking difficult questions. About I, I think it goes even further than that, that it, it's he worships him. Now, I, I'm just mm. going to check, but I think that's the first time that happens in John's Gospel. So in Jewish thought, you can only worship God because that's the first commandment. You shall worship only God alone. So mm-hmm. not only does he become a disciple, but he also recognizes that Jesus is God. And mm-hmm. therefore he sits in contrast both to the man who is healed, but then kind of walks away from Jesus a little bit and abandons him in John chapter five. Remember the man who was beside the pool, he kind of mm-hmm. abandons Jesus to the Pharisees. This man does the opposite. And mm-hmm. he also stands in contrast to the the religious leaders and they're called the Jewish leaders in the end of John 8, who when Jesus says, I am indicating that he is God, they become enraged and want to stone him. So this man seems to go further than than either of those two and, and not in becoming a disciple and then recognizing that Jesus is God. And he does that with that very important John word, he believed. Hmm. Why do you think we don't know his name? Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I ask. <laughs> Said sounded like a character from Gavin and Stacey. I'll tell you why I'm asking. It's because I think I I, I think I've slightly overlooked this man over the years, mm-hmm. but he's actually really interesting. Yeah. I think that's why I wanted to talk about him at the beginning. I think he's really feisty. Yeah. Because you know, I think particularly in contrast to the man in John five, where you know we we mm-hmm. had that discussion about do you want to be well? There was that sense of are you are you playing into a narrative here that that you're comfortable seeing? There's not any sense of that with this man. This man is like, I'm going to stand up to Pharisees and 
question. And, and when the parents say, you know, he's grown up, you can ask him yourself. Yeah. It, to some extent, obviously, they're getting themselves off the hook there, aren't they? Because they don't want to get into trouble. But at the same time, you think, well, yeah, Jolly Well can stick up for himself. And it's odd there's no name when he's yeah, parents so, so, yeah, are so I've not, I've yeah. never remembered him because there's yeah. not a name. He's just a, another of the blind men, yeah. isn't his he? His parents are there, his neighbours are there. There's every opportunity for him to have yeah. a name like Bartimaeus. I don't, I don't know who yes. Bartimaeus turns up in another gospel, but why no name? Because they can hardly recognise him. But was that because he was transformed or they'd never really bothered looking at him in the first time, first place? So he'd never been seen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the word seen is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, this mm. is a slight aside, but I find that really interesting within our culture because you do hear the younger people. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, the, the the phrase, I feel seen, is quite a big phrase yeah. at the moment. Well, yeah. So, And it's not yeah. just, I, I feel that somebody's looking at me, but it's somebody understands me, somebody mm. gets me. And quite often, and I've heard this a couple of times in the church, we, there is a contrast sometimes made between the gospel of Jesus Christ through which we we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and then through Christ we are we are raised up w- without um, any merit on our behalf but through grace alone that would be the classic statement of the gospel I think we'd want to go a little bit further and say then brought into a community of the spirit but that is often contrast to the thing which is sometimes called the gospel of self-actualization the idea that you need to become yourself that the individual grows into themselves and that is very much a phenomenon sometimes of the of the modern age it, it stands yeah. in contrast to the or the contemporary age it stands in contrast to the idea that you become what the community expects you to be mm. and so therefore there's much more talk about i need to be true to myself the whole of reality tv the guiding narrative is those who become themselves and very often those the the gospel our gospel and that gospel of self-actualization are set in contrast to one another mm. and i think that's an artificial war that we don't need to to go to. I think there are problems with self-actualization if we say that it only happens through ourselves or it happens through hard work. It can then become another form of trying your very hardest to, to get there. But what happens in this story, particularly if we understand this as creation being made complete, is that this man is 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 grown fully into himself to the point at which he then worships God. That that becomes the end point, the mm-hmm. point at which he worships. And, and through that, his whole experience is really important. I was blind, but now I can see. And what's really interesting is that there is a, a counter-narrative going on here where the religious authorities try to get him to deny his own experience in order to conform to their set of authority and rules. And so what you have is a, a kind of religious system versus the person's own understanding of himself. Mm-hmm. And what he does twice is he refuses to buckle to the narrative that is foisted upon him by the religious leaders. First of all, um, you weren't really born blind, were you? Mm-hmm. And he has to go, no, no, I was. And then secondly, they say, well, well, then maybe the man who did this to you was a sinner. And then he says, that can't be the case either, because I now know that I can see, and not since the creation of the world, in reference to Genesis again, has anything like that happened. This man, in a sense, must must be God and he's ready for that in the next scene. So there is something going on here where religious authorities are trying to get this man to deny his own experience and he is fundamentally refusing to deny it. He will only tell the truth about himself and that's why I find him just a brilliant character. Love Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Really interesting. Um, What about his parents? Oh yeah. They don't come out of this very well, do they? Don't really, do they? No. Um, 
Kind of land them in it. And they're willing, I mean, they're so. I find them hard to relate to. Um, I was trying to imagine if this was one of my children. What would have brought me to the point that I was able to say, yeah, I know he's my, I know, I know he's my son or daughter. I, I know that he was born blind, um, but I don't know what's happened. You know, mm-hmm. they must be. Is it fear? I, I mean, that's the, that's the only conclusion I could come to that they were so scared of being kicked out of the synagogue, which was not just being told you can't go to church, and it's like being completely excluded from the community. I mm-hmm. think. And, and that's what the next yeah. verse says, isn't it? Yeah, so they said this because they were afraid yeah. that the, the fear Jews is didn't. so great that they'll say yes, he is our son, but, but, but we don't know. We don't know anything. So I'm, I feel bad not being able to relate to them. I, I would hope if, if it was one of my children, I would, you know, I'd be standing by them. But that's easy for me to say, maybe because I've never been in that place of abject fear or risk of my life. Or, hmm. I think we we've all been in positions, have we not? And I, I to my shame, can think of this where I have conformed to what religious authorities wanted me to do in order to protect my own position. Mm -hmm. And if someone else got excluded because of that, then they became a casualty. Mm. And I think what's going on is that there's a division. We're we're told that there is a division amongst the Pharisees in verse 16. They were divided. Literally, the Greek word is there was a schism amongst them. And these Pharisees have a problem because some of them are saying he must be a sinner. He did this on the Sabbath. And other people are saying, well, how can someone not from God make a man be healed? So they, they, their, their power structure has a problem. It's got a divide. So how are they going to resolve this divide? Well, one of the ways that they do it is they try to bring the parents in and bring the, the blind man into their side so they can all as one exclude Jesus because they want to get mm-hmm. rid of Jesus. And what in a sense happens is through fear, the parents agree to come in to their dialogue of the righteous just, uh, as one commentator calls it, but the man refuses. I find that really mm-hmm. interesting dynamic that the the parents who are more embedded in the system are prepared to conform, but but the child refuses to. I think I think I would also point to something. I don't, I don't know if either of you have had experience of being with people who have been well for want of a better word kicked out of churches or removed from churches or removed from religious organizations i've seen it happen to a handful of people it is a brutal experience Mm. it completely wrecks them the people i'm thinking of are highly highly capable people and yet for years afterwards you know they, they would talk for this about hours about just what it did to them to be removed from a church or to be pushed out of a church it felt like their whole being was assaulted. And that, I think, is what's going on in 16 verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. But the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's too easy to underestimate the all-encompassing power of those social religious forces yeah. that act on people when they're, when they're mm-hmm. experiencing that kind of pressure. And I don't want to be too simplistic, but... If, if I pres- I'm thinking, I'm wondering if the parents they weren't there when their son was at on the roadside or wherever he was, and he saw Jesus, he was with Jesus, he was welcomed by Jesus, he was seen by Jesus, and so the son has had this experience mm. of Jesus. Mm. Um, he started to follow Jesus, he's worshiping Jesus, or he's about to worship Jesus. Um, so he's being <clears throat> transformed internally. It, yeah, it, there's been an internal transformation for him. 
but for the parents it's just the stuff they've been told yeah mm-hmm. and, and and so they haven't had that encounter with jesus and uh, what i'm trying to say as i said the encounter with, encounter with jesus makes all the difference doesn't it mm-hmm. in fact interesting william wilson one of our long-term listeners <laughs> who often communicates with us um william and i are in the same church he's, he's the minister there and his sermon yesterday was all about this which is just what you said a minute ago, Neil, about if, if it's just something we assent, assent, assent to, yes, we just mm-hmm. say, I believe something, mm. that's not going to have the same impact on us as the internal transformation of becoming more and more like Jesus. So for the, the son, he is being transformed, but the parents are stuck in this kind of, you know, well, we don't know what we believe. Well, maybe we do know what we believe, but they haven't had this encounter. So it just, mm-hmm. for me, maybe, maybe just thinking this through just now, is that it's a reminder of the encounter with jesus the relationship with jesus the transformation that the spirit brings that makes all the difference and us being able to say no this this is the truth this yeah. is this this is what's happening here and the the parents hadn't had that mm-hmm. I, I also wonder if that we were talking just before we came on air about or before we, we hit record we didn't come on air stop <laughs> <laughs> talk this up um about we're just talking about a, a situation that, that i'd been last week and, and we were neil you were pointing out that that jen and i were we're both of a certain age where we kind of have quite high expectations and that you didn't say this, but there is a danger that you can become cynical about those who are a bit younger and maybe just a bit less organized with what they're doing or, or, or whatever. And and I do think that's a constant challenge to you as you get older, not to become, not to settle for the, 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 the easy way of not the mm. easy way of life, but you know, not rocking the boat because you've seen things come and go and you think, Oh, well, yeah, it's just the, the kind of, fury of youth isn't it or the enthusiasm of youth sometimes and and I wonder if there's a bit mm-hmm. of that going on in here as well mm-hmm. do you know that they're saying well yeah son let's see how long this lasts and I, that's not to dismiss yeah. what you said Jen because obviously there's something very specific about who Jesus is yeah. in this and it is a reminder of you know it's easy not to rock the boat because like you say you don't want to be put yeah. out by the community you maybe begin to see both sides of an argument you think well maybe the Pharisees have got a point and you know and it's a reminder of who Jesus was spending time with you know, I mean, I, I, if you think about how old people would have lived for in Jesus' day, you know, the, the parents, uh-huh. we're not talking about parents here who are in their 80s. We're no, probably talking no, about parents right. who are maybe in their 40s or th- yes, something, right. maybe just. And he's probably late, te- he could be late teens, late 20s, he could be younger than that because you'd be mm-hmm. a man from when you were 12. Mm-hmm. And it's a reminder to all of us that, um, you know, you know, it's easy in the church today and the way things run and people that who are the age we all are, and interesting, mm-hmm. it's all, we're all the same age on this podcast, mm-hmm. that, you know, we have the power, we have the authority, we, we're, we're leading things, but Jesus is spending time with people who we would perceive as, as younger and, yes. and that reminder of the equality across the ages and not... Yes, yes, yeah, and listening it's a to young that guy, It's a young guy that gets it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. So listening to the younger voice... Uh, Whilst also, I think, holding the expertise or the, the wisdom of, of longevity at the same time. And I think I think what you said something really interesting there about, about remembering that we hold the power. Because I, I quite mm. often still feel as though I don't hold the power. And then mm. when I take a step back from my life, I think, hold on, you do. And and I think when you become unaware of that, that that's when you can actually use your power quite unhelpfully. Mm. Whilst Jen was speaking there, Neil has walked across the room, found a book, <laughs> and returned. So I'm expecting a real nugget of wisdom here. Yeah, th- this is this is a book I've thought a lot about when we looked at this chapter. It's called And There Was Light. The subtitle is The Extraordinary Memoir of a Blind Hero of the French Resistance in World War II. And it's by a man called Jacques Lucerin. Um, yeah, we can probably put that on the, on the show notes. 
And it's a beautiful, beautiful book about this man, Jacques, who joins the French resistance when the Nazis invade at the start in the Second World War. And he he quickly becomes invaluable in the in the resistance, partly because no one would suspect a blind man, but also because he is brilliant at working out who is telling the truth or not. And you can imagine that's a vital quality for someone to have in an organisation where security is absolutely life and death. And so it speaks to this idea that um, how we see people isn't about sight. It's a much, a much deeper seeing. But you can probably guess from the fact, and there was light, which is a quotation from Genesis, uh, that this is a very, very spiritual book. And he, he speaks of a, uh, a, a real spirituality. Uh, he talks about his experience of his first 20 years, he talks about him, he's talk, writing about himself in the third person. His dearest wish was to show, he's talking about himself, if only in part, what these years held of life, light and joy by the mm. grace of God. And he concludes the book by saying that, that light does not come to us from without, but light is in us, even if we have no eyes. And mm. it's a beautiful book, picking up many of the themes. But it was a very a practical point that, that just it triggered my connection with it, was when the French resistance was at work in the Second World War, it was almost entirely run by people in their 20s. Very few 30-year-olds mm. and 40-year-olds joined work with the French resistance because, as you say, they were already kind of, oh, well, you just got to go with these things. It was yeah. the 20-year-olds and younger who had, as you, to use that phrase you used a minute ago, the fury of youth, who were able to perceive this much more clearly. And I think, well, Jen and Fiona, I think both of you are my teachers when it comes to this. You're both very, very good at, paying a very deep attention to uh, the voices of young people who are 30, 40, sometimes 50 years younger younger than us. Mm. Mm. It's one of the things I've, I've held on to all my life. I vividly remember being about eight and not being listened to as a child. And I remember thinking to myself, when I grow up, I'm going to listen to people my age. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I didn't think when I was eight I would take that right into my 50s. I had no idea, of course. But I, I never want to um, dismiss a younger person or not let them speak or not try and consider where they're coming from because... I, and I know some people might have the perception that young younger people now... <laughs> some people who are younger have have lots of voice and older people don't. And, it, 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 yeah, there, there can be both. So I think actually mm -hmm. maybe... It goes beyond age, doesn't it? It's about just as this, we started this conversation about this chapter. Jesus saw, and whoever we were, whoever we're with, do we see whatever we we are, whatever age that person is? Mm -hmm. Do we see? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just think about what, what this inspires me to, and maybe we'll come to this at the takeaways, is that if we see this as Jesus transforming and completing the life of someone on the edge whose life is manifestly incomplete then it speaks to me a lot about the power of transformation that's that is for jesus and our in our young people and our job as disciples is to be encouragers of that and and not to get in the way mm. and if mm -hmm. there's a lesson in this story as well it's that when young people come to faith they will maybe become people whom as adults we almost want to stifle a little bit almost i mean i think you probably can 
think of tons of examples of that having happened. But and and the job one of the jobs of the Pharisees here is to well, for want of a better word, to get with the program, to understand what it is that Jesus is doing and be prepared to set aside their own preconceptions in order for that to happen. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do that, you end up crushing people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that does lead us to the Pharisees. Mm. Um, just they do not come out of this well. Yeah, they there's um, there's obviously a, a an intention. There's a, there's a through line, isn't there, about about trying to trap Jesus that we're we're picking up again and again as we read through through John. That there's a, a sort of a, a, an understory happening um, alongside events, but just the way they they kind of almost paint themselves into a corner with all this, don't they? Yeah. So that it finishes on that point. If you were blind, you would be—you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Yeah. One of the commentators on this says that we should only read this as both the blind man and the Pharisees. That, that clearly when you read this, the, the Pharisees are set up as the bad guys and the blind man is set up as a good guy. You automatically read it that way. But he challenges us to read with as you've just said some well did you say sympathy i don't think you did but some some sense of solid or insight into what did you say i said empathy did you say empathy um into the pharisees that that here they are they are the guardians of a moral order they know that the history of israel is if you don't obey god then you will be removed from the land at last, they've managed to bring out a bit of reforming zeal and they've managed to protect the land. And the law quite clearly says that Jesus is in the wrong here because he shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. There's no there's no kind of attempt to say this wasn't work. Jesus names this as work. So he is saying, I am working on the Sabbath and they know that that, that is against the law. So they have to protect this. And if the cost of that is an expulsion, then they are prepared to do that but what they also don't know is that in doing so they've they've expelled God. So the, I guess there is for me a question of when do I try to guard the order? When am I prepared to mm. expel? When am I so frightened of something infiltrating that I need to keep it out? Because um, my experience of God is God is always sending us, for want of a better word, uncomfortable pieces of data. <laughs> which which uh, force us to reconsider where we are and prevent us drawing the world in neat lines. Mm. I think that yeah, and the saddest thing for me about the Pharisees is the 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 lack of seeing of the man as an individual and the transformation that's happened in front of their eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and just as you say, Neil, that there's they're so careful about and understandably because i i could be we've said this before in the podcast i could be them you know because things that i believe that are so important i believe and keep that belief to be right or things should be done in a certain way and then they they just they just miss it they, they just miss this person who was sitting there and who couldn't see and now he can see it's, it's deeply yeah. sad it's, it's a kind of unconscious bias isn't it it's an unconscious mm-hmm. bias against the fact that god could do something differently. Yeah, yeah unco- and reinforced by group, group mm-hmm. dynamics mm-hmm. and power structures. Mm-hmm. Do you do you sense a bit of poignancy in the last verse where, in the final scene? So, by the way, I was just going way back. I was I was really surprised you hadn't done too much with this. Sorry, I just 
lump you as the drama person some things at Fiona. But this this divides very neatly into six scenes. Uh, the 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 healing, the the first scene with the man and the Pharisees, the second scene with the parents, third scene with the Pharisees, um, probably missed one out, uh, and then Jesus with the man at the end. Now, in that scene, you kind of think it's Jesus by himself with the man, but the Pharisees are able to overhear, so they're not that mm-hmm. far away. And mm-hmm. they, they say, Jesus says, I come into this world for judgment so that those who do not see me see and those who do see may become blind. What I think he's doing at that point is actually I think he's undermining the whole system of who's in and who's out and mm-hmm. and that whole way of being. And later on, we'll see that again with Paul and his his wrestling um, with the kind of, well, I would say the Jewish Christians. But, but the Pharisees are kind of in and going, surely not us, surely not us. There's almost mm. a, do you think there's a kind of wistful tone to that where they, they almost don't want to be condemned by Jesus? Yeah, and it's some of them. It's some of them who are with him. Yes, mm. yes. I, noticed, I, I only noticed yeah, that just now when I was yeah, looking back. I just wondered—is that the ones who are really—they're not wanting to. I mean, maybe not want let, to let Jesus go because they want to get rid of him. But maybe, maybe they're hanging around him because they're still—they are still wanting to understand. Yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. are they the ones that disagreed earlier on? Because there is that disagreement. Uh, you know, some said, "How can a sinner perform such signs?" and said they were divided. I know, and we tend to lump that we do lump the the Pharisees yeah. all together, don't we? We, yeah. we think the Pharisees, and then you think, yeah. well, it's not fair. We know some yeah. names of people who were in, in that group. We we don't know others. They, they would mm. all had a different perspective. Just to some extent, we we put a line as readers yeah. and say, "Oh, the Pharisees," yeah, yeah. Ooh, and we and we differentiate. But oh, wait, sorry, we fail to differentiate. Um, and then there's a Nicodemus. Yeah, exactly. Our discussions about him a few chapters ago. Yeah. yeah, we've got Simon the Pharisee. When you you know mm. think about Luke seven, where he invites Jesus to come to the yeah come to his house um interesting it, interesting <laughs> i think that you neil started with uh with the, the your glovers off about football actually and, and we were talking about unity and disunity mm-hmm. i think as human beings there's always that tendency to to stick with your tribe and and yeah. not step out of line isn't there well the interesting thing about football is it always creates that sense of unity artificially by creating another who you hate so if you're hearts fan you meant to hate hibs fans if you're rangers you meant to hate celtic and so on and um, if you're Dundee, you meant to hate Dundee United. The, the temptation is to say that that division doesn't happen here or it isn't needed. I think that's probably true. And, and Jesus refuses a system in the world where we create our own unity by, by hating someone else. Mm. And it completely subverts it. So if you remember, this began by saying, it's the man who's blind. Was it him that sinned or the parents? So the system isn't. The question isn't, what did sin cause that? That's almost an obvious thing. Sin caused it. Mm-hmm. Um, the question simply is, who's sin? Now it's completely changed. Jesus says, if you are blind, you do not have sin. He's completely changed the system altogether. But if you <laughs> see, or say we see, then you still have sin. He's completely yeah. changed the way that we see. And right at oh, it's so it's so interesting, isn't it? The more we talk about it, because and right at the heart of that, there's that there's that that fear, the fear mm. of being excluded is mm-hmm. is is there. Right. Well, I, I mean, I feel I've got to know this man. I wish he had a name. Maybe I should just <laughs> give him a name. Because maybe mm-hmm. maybe I would have written a drama. Neil, going back to whatever you were saying about <laughs> ten minutes ago, maybe I would have written a drama had he had a name. Well, you just but, do what the chosen did and just give him a name. 
Yeah, they that's do right. That, exactly. They? It's just yeah. I like the chosen by the really. I've still not. I've still not watched that. So. Right. Anything else anybody wants to say about this chapter, Jen? You, you I, I wanted just to quickly circle back to. Did you? You were saying um, that you think Jesus used very tangible physical way of healing <laughs> in order to make the point that he yeah, was working just, on the Sabbath. I never thought about that before. That, that until we were talking there about the, the Sabbath and how he keeps. He keeps doing things on the Sabbath to show that well, he's God. He's at work on the Sabbath, mm. and this all oh, the Sabbath is for bringing healing and recreation and recreation and what the Sabbath truly is. But he spits, he mixes, he smears—quite an unpleasant word. Um, he sends them to wash. It's as if he's really making this point. I am making something. Yeah, I yeah. am working. Yeah. As he, he's, I'm not hiding this. I'm not just touching his eyes. Or it's so graphic, Lord. isn't it? He spits yeah. right in front of him. Makes yeah, them I'm mud. at work. I'm making cement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and forming something out of earth, which yeah. again yeah, takes yeah, us back yeah, to Genesis, yeah, doesn't yeah. It? it? There's a there's a little ding ding. The Creator God, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Which again links to the last time when we were talking about the finger of God, mm. the finger that wrote the law, and and also writes in the dust. And then here's the the Creator, also recreating in the man. Mm. Lovely. Anything else anybody wants to chip in at this point? Do I'm we all feel we see this chapter better? To do list and. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. Oh, apart from the bit oh. when the man says, I am the man, that bit's ego wine in Greek. That's the that's I am. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? I, mean, I told you it was feisty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he's been uh, listening to Jesus for a long time before. Uh, yeah, this maybe. Encounter. Maybe. Because I suspect, yes, well, we can get onto that whole thing of heightened other senses as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe he listens very well. Um takeaways. Then we got a takeaway. I think I want to always see people mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds really basic but it's just a reminder again and it's happened again and again reading John that it's easy to be stuck somewhere and miss miss what God's doing or what God wants me to see and I just want to be like Jesus at the start of that chapter he saw the man yeah that's that's basic prayer I'll, I'll, I want Jen's point as well I'll take that please <laughs> seeing <laughs> seeing others if if um just to slightly carry on from what you're saying, to particularly across the generational um, ground, barrier, divide, yeah, whatever that thing is that you do in Hall and Substantial. Spectrum. What's that? <laughs> Spe- oh, new series of Hall and Substantial coming soon, actually. Oh, good. Um, I actually- finally, we've sat in a hiatus for quite a long time. That thing about seeing across the generations, I just finished reading a book, which I'm going to completely forget the name of it, Fiona. It's an intergener- about intergenerational ministry. I'll, I can mm-hmm. send you the information so people can find it. Um, and we were reading it um, in church for a strategy group I'm on for our youth worker, because we're talking about being intergenerational. And then there's also stories in it. And there was one story of a younger person in a church who'd got to know an older person just because they were trying to be more cross-generational and have more conversations with each other. And the younger person described this person who's in their 60s or something about how their husband had recently died, uh, one of their daughters had addiction problems, another son had been in prison or something. It just Their life was just full of chaos and problems and sadness. And the younger person said, and I understand why that person doesn't want things to change in the church service because everything else is so mm. so chaotic and this is the one place mm. of steadiness and security. And I, and that's a beautiful illustration of yes. when we see each other 
you stop being, oh, that's the person that moans, or that's the person that wants new things. You become people that you know and care for. Yes. And then so your direction of mission as a church or ministry um, is different. That's lovely. That's lovely. Beautiful. Well, my takeaway um, is about the parents. Uh, mm. Just as we've been talking, I've been really struck by that. By, I think I'm quite often driven by fear of changing the way or questioning the way things are done. Yeah. That that it's verse, we that. haven't talked about it, The verse 16, <laughs> verse 22, you know, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, so the Jews had already mm. agreed that anyone would be put out of the synagogue. You wouldn't believe the number of commentaries that have been written about that verse. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, really? it, yeah, it's all to do with the dating because they don't think that people were being kicked out of the synagogue till um, 80 years later. Yeah, I read, I read that when I was preparing. Uh, um, yeah. So there, there was a, a thing called, I think it was called the 18 Beatitudes of Simon the Blessed, where they would say, cursed be the ones who believe in, I think it's in the Christ or, or in the Nazarene or something. Um, wow. But, but it's one of the key planks for many scholars saying that many the the experiences that are told in John's gospel uh, are specifically told in such a way as to connect them with the community of about 50 60 years later okay yeah oh well there you go that's my that's my takeaway (laughs) without realizing it It obviously connects with an audience 2000 years later as well (laughs) right good uh thank you very much to you both next time we're obviously going to be on john chapter 10 which i want to sing bits of because it's sort of memory verse territory Mm, uh, life in all its fullness john 10 john 10 john 10 john 10 um (laughs) that's many years of drama camp uh so jen have you got a gem for us yes i'd chosen this gem before i realized where our conversation today was going to go all about uh, different generations and uh, listening to what other people are saying uh, younger older yesterday at church um i was speaking to a friend who had been digging through some archived videos of our church family (laughs) and he'd come across um, footage of an event I had laid when I was about I think yeah 23 early 20s and when he told me that he'd found a video of it I was oh no please not that event because it was just like the worst children's (laughs) event I've ever led it started we were in a very large high school about a hundred children turned up we did not expect that number I'd had this great idea that we'd give every child a coloured um, cardboard, thin cardboard hat to wear when they arrived. So the different colour would put them into different groups. But then I'd also decided that we'd play parachute games, multiple parachutes, like about 10 parachutes, eh, as a first game. So when they lifted up the parachutes, what happened to the paper hats? <laughs> they all blew off. So nobody knew what group they were in. And, and basically the afternoon just went from worst to worst. And I've, a much older uh, youth worker who was there on the day said to me at the end of it, well, Jen, there's some days um, you just go home and you get a carry out and you have a glass of wine. <laughs> it wasn't good. I tell that story because I'm so grateful that I didn't give up mm-hmm. or uh, I, I learned from my mistakes and there was people around me who encouraged me to run other events. And, you know, if you're, do- if you're involved in youth children's ministry and things, you've done something and it went badly wrong or wasn't what you hoped for, you know, keep going, go God uses us as we are and we can learn so much over the years from the things we get wrong and who knows what might have happened at that terrible event anyway maybe maybe somebody enjoyed it and they met Jesus I don't know um but keep going and in your mistake learn from your mistakes and don't give up that's my gem that's very good thank you I think I don't know about Neil but I'm sitting thinking about all the hilarious stories <laughs> that were not hilarious at the time no no, no, no very, very painful at the time yeah. I find and that's it the thing. very poignant Jen that someone 
had located video footage and it just happened. I mean, of all the events that they could have had it of, it was that one. And you know, it was also 1991, which was the year Motherwell won the cup. Oh. There you go. Oh, we're back to where we started, just like John Gosper. Right. Circled back right. We circled back right. Very good. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Next time, as I say, we'll be talking about John 10. So that's life in all its fullness. It's a gate. It's a shepherd. It's all sorts of stuff mm. going on in John 10. Um, so join us then for more outspoken conversation. And in the meantime, don't forget that you can like rate share review uh and that way other people can get involved and other people can um find out that it boosts our ratings up the it does something to the algorithm i don't really know what i'm talking about but it does something <laughs> that means people can find us um so also let us know about length of podcast what would you like between 35 and 60 minutes uh, you can do that by dropping 60. an email pardon we're not going to go over 60 you, you limited it. You can have any length you like up to 60 minutes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're not going over 60. <laughs> well, we're already over 60 by 13 seconds right now, I'd just like to say. Uh, yeah, so drop us an email, folks, at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org and tell us your perfect podcast length underneath 60, 60 minutes. <laughs> uh, right. Thanks very much for joining me, you two, and uh, see you next time. Yeah, Bye. Great.